Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message. As we uh, jump into our Bible study this morning, let me encourage you to grab your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. And if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. One of our ushers will bring you a Bible. We do want you to be able to follow along and keep track as we continue our study through the Gospel of Mark, a series that we've entitled Servant Savior. And we use the word gospel because the word gospel means good news. And uh, in the New Testament, which is the second half of the Bible, if you're new to the Bible, the second half of the Bible is called the New Testament, and it starts off with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So Mark is the second book of the New Testament, and the word gospel means good news. And in these first four books of the New Testament, we see the presentation of Jesus' life and ministry. And Mark has been focusing in on two themes. One is Jesus as a servant. Jesus said, I have come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. He also said that if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, we should learn to be a servant of all. And Jesus has modeled that for us throughout his life and ministry as we've been studying through these chapters and verses. But we also see Jesus as the savior of the world. Uh, John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus before his baptism, said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus is presenting that sacrifice for us, especially in this last week of Jesus' life on earth as we are focusing in and really closing up Mark uh, chapter 14 today, but also the book of Mark. Uh, Next week we'll be finishing up the book of Mark and then jumping into our Christmas series. But we are in the last week of Jesus' life, and if you were with us last week, you know that we studied what Jesus talked about the end times prophecies, and uh, Jesus foretold future events to his faithful followers. And so if you want to go back and listen, you can go uh, on our website or podcast or even watch it on our YouTube channel. But um, basically, the the bottom line of, of the last chapter is that Jesus is coming back, and we should all be ready. In fact, he said three times throughout that chapter to his disciples that uh, we should take heed so that we're not deceived. Take heed, watch, and pray that we would be ready for Jesus' return. Now, as we transition into chapter 14, uh, you may notice that uh, chapter 14 is pretty long, so we won't have time to read every single verse, but we are going to understand everything that's happening in this chapter because what we see in this chapter is that Jesus endures rejection to ensure redemption. And we've entitled this message, Man of Sorrows, because throughout this chapter, we see Jesus experience a lot of rejection, a lot of betrayal. And not only from the religious rulers, and they have been his enemies from number one, from day one, but this is coming from his closest friends and followers and associates. Those are going to be some of the disciples and the apostles that are nearest to him. In his inner circle, Jesus is going to experience this type of rejection and, uh, and sorrow and betrayal 
Uh, but uh, he's doing that because of his great love for us. Now, we're going to see this in three simple ways, just a very simple outline for us. One is that Jesus is going to take precautions before this assignment of going to the cross. And those precautions are going to be uh, celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples and instituting a new covenant which we call communion. But he's also going to be worshipped by a woman and uh, she's going to break this very expensive perfume and anoint his head with oil. And so these are some of the precautions that Jesus takes. Secondly, we're going to see Jesus being persecuted by his closest associates and friends. He's going to be betrayed by Judas as well as denied by Peter, the one who was closest to him. And then lastly, we're going to see Jesus prosecuted by his fiercest enemies. Those are going to be the religious rulers. He's going to be detained, arrested, beaten, and ultimately sent to the cross. So a lot to get to. We're going to jump into Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. It says, After two days it was the Passover and the feast of unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there should be an uproar of the people. Now, if you're not familiar with the Passover meal or celebration, it actually points us back to the Old Testament when the Jewish people were in slavery in Egypt. And you remember Moses came uh, with all of the Ten Commandments, not the uh, Ten Commandments, but the, uh, the Ten Plagues. And, uh, and in, these, in these plagues, uh, God miraculously delivered the children of Israel uh, from, from Egypt. And so one of the last plagues was the angel of death. And the children of Israel were told to slaughter a lamb and take the blood of that lamb and put it on the doorposts of their house. And when the angel of death came and saw the, the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of, of their house, then that angel of death would pass over. That's where we get the word Passover from. And there was salvation and, uh, and, and, and deliverance in the home. And so uh, Jesus here is really the picture of the Passover lamb. The, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the innocent lamb. And so it's just remarkable to me how he is celebrating this Passover meal with his disciples and really uh, instituting this, uh, reinventing really uh, this, this new understanding of the Passover meal in the Old Testament through the sacrifice that he is going to perform on the cross. And so it is during this time, as well as during the time of unleavened bread, that uh, in verse 3, we see, And being in Bethany, at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came, having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. And then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than a hundred denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? For she has done a good work for me. So here's this woman who's bringing just this, uh, this expression of worship to Jesus. And uh, we're told later on, he goes on to say that she's done this to anoint my body for burial. But then she's ridiculed and criticized by followers of Jesus because of the way that she's worshiping Jesus. And I love this, that Jesus steps in and defends her. So... Just let Jesus defend you in any of the 
criticism that you may receive for being a follower of Jesus. Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? For you have the poor, verse 7, with you always. And whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not always have. She has done what she could. That's a wonderful phrase. You can circle that and underline it. She has done what she could. It just reminds me or kind of turns the question back around, well, what can I do? What, what, what can I do? Or what are the things that God has given me or given you that we can go back to the Lord and just say, God, you have all of this. I want to surrender it to you and, uh, and worship you with the things that you've given me. She has done what she could. She's come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. And that's very important because uh, Jesus has already predicted his death, burial, and resurrection three times. And now he's reminding the disciples once again, this is going to happen. Surely I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, uh, in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. So there is this worship and this anointing that takes place. Now we won't read uh, these verses that are following verses 10 through 21. But uh, Jesus, uh, excuse me, Judas agrees to betray Jesus for a little bit of money. And then Jesus prepares to celebrate the Passover meal. But jump over to verse 22 with me and read with me there. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all, <clears throat> they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, Jesus goes on to talk to Peter specifically and say that there's going to be one who is going to betray me, someone in the inner circle. And uh, Peter says, I will never betray you. And Jesus predicts his betrayal and denial of, of Peter before the, roast, the rooster crows three times that you will deny, before the rooster crows, excuse me, that you will deny me three times. And anyone who has roosters, let me see a show of hands, I don't know, you know that they, they crow very early in the morning. So this is a timestamp for us. This is late in the night before and over the middle of the night, Jesus is going to pray, he's going to be betrayed, he's going to go on trial, and before the rooster crows in the morning, Peter is going to deny Jesus three times. So, Uh, I just want to pause there and make mention of a couple of things as we're looking at this plot, first, to destroy Jesus. Secondly, we see the preparations that are being made on two fronts. One is to prepare Jesus' body for burial, but also to uh, preparing and celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples. And then lastly, this prediction that he makes of Peter's denial. First is the betrayal that even in those who are closest to him. Here is Judas deciding to betray Jesus to the religious rulers uh, for just financial profit and financial gain. And you can imagine, I don't know if you've ever been betrayed by somebody or somebody has said some, something to you and have, have broken their promise to you. I, I don't know how you feel or how it makes you feel when you're betrayed. And uh, it's a lot of pain that we can experience. And because of it, we close up and we distance ourselves from people, but that's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is continuing to love people and to extend that love even during his betrayal. And so this is coming from a very close friend and associate. But what's beautiful about this picture, I just love reading those verses where this woman is worshiping Jesus. And we don't know exactly where this 
flask or this bottle of, of expensive oil came from. It could have been a, a family heirloom or a family inheritance. We, we're told that there's, it costs a lot of money. And uh, for her to just break that and to just open, open it up to the Lord, the other people who were standing around, they considered that to be foolish. But she realized that this is something that costs a lot of money to me. It's very valuable to me. And she decided to take that which was most valuable to her and just give it to Jesus. And we're told that she does this out of an expression of worship, but also out of a, you know, making those precautions for Jesus' death, which is to come and very soon after that. So she is worshiped being Jesus with this costly perfume. And I just, it just reminds me that there's many things that uh, we can come to God with and, and worship and honor and glorify him. In fact, just a couple chapters ago, we were told about Jesus who was watching those who were giving money to the treasury. And he said that the very rich people, they gave out of their abundance, but there was a, a poor widow who gave out of her poverty and she gave actually more. And Jesus says it's blessed to, more blessed to give than to receive. So when we give to the Lord, it's uh, not a matter of how much we give, but how we give. It's through the manner of our hearts. And this woman is just so broken. She's just so open. And uh, there's another scripture in the Old Testament that says that, you know, we should, as we worship Jesus, I'm not going to give to God something that didn't cost me something. And it's just being open to just say, God, what you have given to me in my life, I want you to have all of it and worship you and honor you and glorify you in it. And this woman is a beautiful picture and uh, of, of that type of expression of worship. But we're also told that Jesus celebrates the Passover meal. I mentioned just the, the backstory of the Passover meal in the Old Testament. But uh, Jesus here is instituting a new covenant. Everyone say covenant. That's an important phrase in the Bible. And a covenant is a, is a promise. It's an agreement. There's a little bit of a difference between a covenant and a contract. Whereas a contract, what both parties are agreeing on the terms and uh, are going to meet certain obligations. But a covenant is a little different. God, through the covenant in this new covenant, is establishing a promise and a guarantee to us. And he is... Um, uh, setting the parameters and the guidelines for that, that covenant and that promise. And the covenant is being established through Jesus Christ. If you're new to church or, uh, or to the Bible and understanding, oftentimes we'll partake of what's called communion. And in communion, we have bread and we have juice. And Jesus here is taking this bread and he's saying, through the unleavened bread in the Passover meal, which in the Bible, leaven is a picture of sin. And so for Jesus to say, this is my body being unleavened bread, Jesus is sinless. He's pure. There's no sin in Jesus. But yet this bread was broken. It was blessed and it was pierced and it was given to you and I. In fact, Jesus would go on to say, I am the bread of life. There's many I am's that Jesus says in his teaching and in his ministry. And one of those is, I am the bread of life. And this bread, his life, is being broken for you and I. As well as the cup, which is a picture of Jesus's shed blood for us. Jesus is instituting this new covenant and this new promise and guarantee is sealed by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's sealed in the symbols that we have, in the, in the, uh, the bread that we eat during communion, as well as the, the juice that we drink during communion. And so it's sealed in Jesus' blood, and as well as in Jesus' sacrifice. And in a covenant, 
those types of covenants were sealed with like a signature or a signet ring. You would melt some wax and you would put your, your signature or your, your embalming picture or ring that would seal the contract. Or there was an exchange of goods between the parties. Jesus, here in the scriptures, we are told that Jesus is the one who is exchanged as the guarantee or the promise for us in this new contract, in this new covenant that God is making with you and I. And it's a beautiful picture, one, of God's love for us and how he has done everything possible to redeem us and to forgive us and to restore us. And in fact, later on in this chapter, we see that it brings so much pain and agony, obviously, for Jesus to go to the cross. However, Jesus was submitted to the will of the Father. Now, finally, we see that Jesus is deserted by all, as well as denied by Peter, as Jesus predicts this denial of Peter before the rooster crows. So the story continues on. Actually, we can jump over to verse 32. Look with me there because it's very important to read these verses and understand Jesus' passion as he prays and understands the weight of what he is about to go through in his suffering on the cross. In verse 32, it says, Then they came to the place which is named Gethsemane. This is the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. And he went a little further and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, that the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but your will be done. Now, he's not talking about a sports drink or a Red Bull that he had in his hand. That's not the type of drink Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the cup of suffering that he is to drink and partake of on the cross. And he is in such deep despair and agony and sorrow. And he's praying with some of his closest followers, Peter, James, and John. And as he's praying in verse 37, he came and found the disciples sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to answer him. And then he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Let us rise and be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. The following verses talk about Judas coming and betraying Jesus with a kiss as an indication to the religious rulers of who they were to arrest in the garden. This is a wonderful picture of Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, and ultimately he's persecuted by his closest associates. There's a couple of things happening here. One is the agony of Jesus as he is understanding the seriousness, of course, uh, of the pain that he is going to experience. There's also the arrest and then the abandonment. And Jesus here is described as someone whose soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death, And what does he do? I think this is a great example for us. When there is such despair and depression and uh, anxiety 
and suffering in life, he goes to his father in prayer. I think this is a great example for us. If you're experiencing some of these pressures of life, the greatest sense of soothing and comfort that you can receive is when you go to God in prayer. Secondly, what I find interesting is that he surrounds himself with a couple of people who were supposed to be watching out for him, who were supposed to be supporting him, who were supposed to be encouraging him. Now, unfortunately, they don't do that, but it is a good reminder for us when we go through seasons of despair and sorrow to surround ourselves with people, just a couple if you need to, just a couple of close friends, family and friends who can pray for you, who can support you, who can encourage you. And I don't mean those type of people who say, oh, sure, I'll pray for you, and then maybe never pray for you. But those who are going to take the opportunity and the moment to pause right then and there and just say, hey, can we pray? Can we just pray right now? And uh, we all need people in our lives who are going to support us and encourage us in prayer, but also to go to the Lord and say, God, this is so overwhelming for me. And then the third thing is, No matter what happens throughout that situation and circumstance when life is really heavy and and, uh, and there's so much pressure in life, no matter what happens, we see Jesus submit to the will of his heavenly Father. And we can put, when we place all of those worries and burdens and cares and concerns into the hands of God through prayer and we just unload those things, then we can trust God. We can say, okay, no matter what happens, no matter the situation, not my will, because oftentimes if it's my will, then I'm going to run my life into a ditch. I'm going to hurt people. I'm going to cause a lot of pain and things aren't going to work out all that well. I've tried many years of my life doing things my way and it has never worked out. (laughs) But when I submit to the will of my heavenly father, when I trust him and I say, okay, God, I don't understand how this is all going to work out. I can't figure it all out. I don't see all the details, but I'm going to respond like Jesus responded. Not my will, but yours be done. Would you work your will in my life? That is such a great picture of Jesus here, submitting to the will of the Father. And that will included pain. It included agony. And that just reminds us that Jesus suffered agony in order to soothe our misery. Jesus suffered agony at the cross, agony in the garden in order to soothe and to mend and to comfort and to heal and to come alongside us in our pain and in our sorrow. He's the one that sticks closer than a brother. Even though I would identify myself more with the disciples in this situation. I would identify myself more with Peter in this situation. I'm the one who walks away from God. I'm the one who abandons Jesus. I'm I'm the one who is working out my own will and my own plan. But even then, we see Jesus, after his resurrection, restore and mend and heal Peter. Even though at the end of this chapter, Peter remembers the words of Jesus after he's denied him three times and he begins to weep. But Jesus, even in those moments, has love and compassion for us. When we forsake, the Bible says, all we like sheep have been led astray, everyone to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And this is really the great love of God that Jesus was sent as the gift of God. So if we believe in him, that we would not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the story of Jesus as it is unfolding and coming to the climax 
in his crucifixion, but before his crucifixion, we have his betrayal, and we have his, um, his trial as well. And we're going to read about that trial in closing here. Look with me in verse 53. We just see his trial here before the Sanhedrin. And they led Jesus away to the high priest. So this isn't a civic trial. This is a religious trial. And a part of the jury and the judge are the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. So this is Jesus' good friends and good buddies. They're going, that's just a joke, uh, but uh, because they're his enemies, actually. And these enemies are seeking to destroy him. But Peter followed him at a distance, right? into the courtyard of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself by the fire. And now the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. And then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We have heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands. And within three days, I will build another made without hands. Now, Jesus actually said that, but he wasn't talking about the physical temple, the building. He was talking about his body uh, being, uh, you know, on the cross, his death, and then three days later being raised from the dead. And yet in verse 59, not even then did their testimony agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. And again, the high priest asked him, saying, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Now, the word Christ is a messianic term. It means the Messiah or the blessed one, the anointed one. And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his clothes and said, what further evidence do we need or witnesses do we need? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. And then some began to spit on Jesus. Isn't this such a difference? Isn't this such a contrast between the woman who was just pouring out all of her love and her affection upon Jesus in that upper room, just quietly just praising and adoring and worshiping, and now he's being spit on. He's also being blindfolded and he's beaten and to say to him, prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. And the chapter closes with Peter denying Jesus three times before the rooster crows. In closing here, we see Jesus prosecuted by his fiercest antagonists, his enemies. He's detained by the Sanhedrin. These are the religious rulers who are frantically seeking false witness against Jesus in order to accuse him. And uh, they couldn't find any, so they are starting to make things up. But in the middle of all of this uh, quick trial and jury that's taking place in the middle of the night, there is uh, mocking and beating, there is ridicule, and there is ultimately a sentencing of Jesus to death. Now, Jesus is going to go on to go before Pilate because they need to get the authority in order to condemn Jesus to death through the Roman crucifixion. But we see Jesus' passion and his love here in these verses. Not only in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, if there's any other way, nevertheless, your will be done. There was love 
In fact, the Bible tells us that for the love that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross. He despised the shame. And that love was in the picture and the person of you and I in order to redeem us and to forgive us and to cleanse us of our sin. Because there is a problem, and that problem is sin. And that sin has affected the human heart. And because of that, there is a pure, innocent one who was sent. His name is Jesus. And Jesus was sent to forgive us of our sins. And so we have his sentencing, but we also have the denial. And so I just wanted to close with this as our worship team comes on up and just kind of reflecting on on this chapter. I, I know that we moved through it pretty quickly, but can you relate to some of what Jesus is experiencing here? How do you feel or what does it make you feel when you experience betrayal and, and, um, and rejection from other people? Now, what Jesus shows us in this chapter is that he continues to love. And even though we have betrayed Jesus in our sin, we have rejected Jesus. He endured that type of betrayal and rejection in order to extend his love, his mercy, his grace, and his forgiveness towards us. Oftentimes we read these verses about Jesus' crucifixion on the cross during Easter time, but I find it very fascinating that here we are entering into, uh, excuse me, Easter time, and now we're entering into Christmas time, and we're reading about these verses because ultimately this is why Jesus came. And there was other gifts that were given to Jesus even during his birth. Here we see gifts of spikenard and this very costly perfume that was broken and and given as an expression of worship to Jesus by this woman. But there was also gifts that were given to Jesus when he was born. The wise men came and brought gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And obviously those were needed for this family who had a newborn baby and they were on the run and very fearful for their child's life because Herod was trying to destroy and kill the child. But we also know that many of those frankincense and myrrh were also used in the embalming process for dead bodies. And I just find it interesting. There's this woven thread of what Jesus has come to lay down his life, to sacrifice, as he said, I have come to give my life as a ransom for many. And as he institutes this covenant, this new covenant, through his broken body and through his shed blood on the cross, now we can have this forgiveness this redemption and this cleansing because of what Jesus has done for us. But it means a couple of things. One is that we need to acknowledge our sin. We need to acknowledge that when we, when we have betrayed Jesus, when we have walked away from him, and the beautiful thing is that the cross reminds us that his forgiveness and love is extended to us at every moment and at every turn of life. So with that, let's pray and we'll sing this closing song. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace in our lives. We thank you for this chapter that shows us your passion and your love. We also thank you that you are a man of sorrows, acquainted with rejection. You understand that type of pain that we experience. But you also provide mending and soothing for our lives. When we go through this type of pain, Lord, help us to respond like this woman responded. Not like the disciples or the people around saying, why are you doing that? Don't worship Jesus that way. And ridiculing. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would come alongside anybody in this room or those who are watching online who are being attacked and criticized for their faith in you. I pray that you would defend them. 
I pray that you would remind them that they are doing a good work and a good thing as they serve you and as they stand for you and as they love you. And we also pray, Lord, that you would help us to remember and to reflect upon this great love that you have for us. And if there's anyone in this room who has not received that love, I want to encourage you as we sing this song that you can confess your sin to God. And as you confess your sin, he promises to forgive you and wash you from all your sin and to make you a new creation, born again, and, uh, and have a life that God intended you to have, full of meaning and significance and purpose. Lord, we thank you that even when we deny you, even when we walk away from you, even when we forsake you, you are always there. And that's what Christmas shows us as we are coming into this season, Christmas, that you are God, Emmanuel, God with us. We love you, God. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at questsd.com to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.